And we do thank you for your Holy Spirit. Um, we believe that our, what you've called us to do is not simply random acts of kindness, but intentionally responding to you. So whether we give away $10, whether we give away and bless other churches, whether we um, take care of people who are poor or disenfranchised, or even how we treat our spouses and our kids and our parents and our friends and our enemies. How we do that is a function of you inside of us. And we ask that your Holy Spirit, even as we look into your word, would teach us whatever you want us to hear and give us the courage then to respond in, in, a ways, in the ways you want us to respond so we can be people who grow in the fullness of the life and the power that come from you. And we ask this all in your name. Amen. The I brought a library, a small library up here of books that I actually checked out from the library. And these, believe it or not, represent a large, large percentage of all the holy books in the entire planet Earth. All right? Holy books. All right? First one, roughly in chronological order. First one is the Analects of Confucius, a holy book for many, many, many people throughout the world and throughout the centuries. Let me just read one part of it. Uh, open, the opening part from Confucius Proper behavior towards parents and elder brothers is the trunk of all goodness. All right? So the, the essence of holy books really is how do you become a good person? How do you live a good life? What is the good life? So, analyze with Confucius. Here we have uh, the Reg Veda, Hinduism. It's kind of like the Hindu Bible in some sense, although they don't have a Bible per se. Here's one of the things, this was written, you know, way before Jesus. The name of the book actually means wisdom and knowledge. So this book, which again, by millions plus people, this is their holy book. This is their book to understand how to live a good life. Here we have a book called uh, the Tao Da Ching, Taoism. It's devoted to a denial of selfishness and self-seeking and to a mystical union with the ultimate. Millions of people around the world throughout the centuries have based their pursuit of the good life on this book. All right. The Bhagavad Gita, Hinduism. Find my quote here. From the Bhagavad Gita, talking about the Lord Krishna, who they, that's, that's who they believe is ultimate of the universe. I never tire of hearing your life-giving, honey-sweet words. So again, people around the world, throughout the centuries, millions, this is their holy book. This is their book about how to live a good life and be a good person. Here we have just the Hebrew Bible, Jewish religion. Um, millions and millions of people base their understanding of good life, how to be a good person, on the Jewish, which is the part of the Christian Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, Jewish holy book. Then we have our Bible. I'll say a few words about that in a second. Then we also have the Quran, written by Muhammad after the time of Christ. The Holy Quran claims to be the greatest spiritual force which is ultimately destined to bring the whole of humanity to perfection. The Holy Book, a lot of people throughout the centuries, throughout the generations, this is the book about how, for them about how to live the good and prosperous life. Then one more, Book of Mormon, Joseph Smith, Mormonism, opening part. The Book of Mormon is a volume of holy scripture comparable to the Bible. That's what they say. Again, Millions of people around the world would say this is their book that is their guide to how to live a good, 
full life and to be a good person. So why do we say this one trumps all others? I mean, isn't it kind of random? Is it just because you were born in America, this is the book that you say is the holy book? Is it just cultural? I mean, if we would have all been in, born in Calcutta, India, wouldn't we all be having this book, talking about this book and how to be a good person according to this writing? Or if we were born in China, wouldn't we be talking about this book? Is it just relative? So how do we then say, well, this is the book. It's the Bible. That's the one we're going to say. And, and often you, I've had conversations with people who have other holy books. And what's easy to say is, well, I just believe the Bible because the Bible says it's true. <laughs> and they're just like, well, so does mine. Then it's kind of like dueling banjos. Then, you know, who wins? Right? It, it's it's kind of, oh, I believe the Bible. Well, I believe the Koran. So what? My belief stronger than your belief. Who wins? How do you decide? One of the things we've done the last few weeks, and I'll talk about this in a What we've done the last few weeks is we've talked through kind of the DNA, the culture. Who is Exodus Church? Who are we? What kind of people do we want to be? And we've said that our mission is to release life. Releasing life, not it's only through money, but the releasing those ten dollars, releasing life. The releasing of ten dollars. When you release forgiveness, you release life. When you, when you let go of your rights to serve your husband, wife, son, or daughter, or somebody you don't even like, you're releasing life. You're releasing the life of Jesus through you for the freedom of others. We've also said that our strategy is a stretch beyond comfort. We could probably <laughs> rewrite our strategy and say our strategy is awkward. All right? Do those awkward stretching things that God asks you to do because we know we want to grow. We're not who we want to be right now, so we have to grow. One of the things we also say this, we say we trust Jesus. And we don't just say that in a sense of, yeah, we believe Jesus. But no, we trust him. It's a relational thing. We trust Jesus. So all that he says about reality, all that he says about how to become a good person, all that he says about how to live the good life, we trust Jesus. So we trust this person Jesus that lived, and even if we just start with this being a historical document, even if we don't start with it being divinely inspired, with all the other documentation of history, there's enough to believe that Jesus was this guy who lived and made these radical claims about how to live the good life, how to be a good person, and then somehow that it was through him, and somehow he died and he was resurrected, at least a large number of people believed he did. So even if you start with that, you've got to decide are you going to trust Jesus or not. Now, once that's, and of course that conversation can be way longer than we just had, but once you trust Jesus, then we go to the statement of we trust the Bible. See, we don't just trust the Bible out of, okay, I'm going to trust the Bible. No, I trust the Bible, we trust the Bible because Jesus did. If my wife tells me something, if she'll tell me something about, you know, something about reality or about one of my kids, I trust what she says because I trust my wife. So she can say something that seems odd to me, but for the most part, well, not for the most part, I do trust her. For the most part, oops, I, you know, I trust her. I mean, if she started talking about aliens that visit her, I might be a little, you know. But I trust my wife, so what she says I trust, what she trusts I trust. If she trusts a situation or a person in a situation, I trust that person. 
So we trust what Jesus trusts, and Jesus trusted the Bible. And you're like, wait a minute, let me, the Bible wasn't all in place when Jesus was. How do you, how do you get there? Um, go to the next slide. Go to the next one after this. How many of you have seen this thing on, you can't, can't really clearly, it's the seal of Indiana University, and on the seal, etched in stone, the open book says Holy Bible. How many of you have seen that? How many know where that is on campus? The original seal of Indiana University, Indiana University, uh, looks at Veritas as Latin for light and truth, and the original seal had the open book, and it was the Holy Bible. This is actually on the outside of that stone gazebo off of Kirkwood. You know what I'm talking about? It's outside. So what, what led the founders of Indiana University to say that this was the sort of source of all light and truth? And then, you know, sad second story, what led them to think it wasn't, right? Because it's out there, it's not there in the, in the seal anymore. But let's talk about the Bible and why we... Let's give, the Bible here. Go, next slide. Bible. 66 books. 39 Old Testament, 27 New Testament. The Old Testament is what the Jewish people call their Bible. Old Testament is the Jewish Old Testament Hebrew Bible. 40 authors. Authors included kings, peasants, philosophers, fishermen, poets, a medical doctor, and many, many scholars. Written in three different languages. Hebrew is the Old Testament. New Testament, Greek, but some in Aramaic. Over a period of 1,500 years, this book we call the Bible. It includes histories, sermons, letters of correspondence. It's a, there's a hymn book. There's a love song in here. There's geographical surveys, architect specifications, travel diaries, population statistics, family trees, inventories, and legal documents. One book, 66 books, comprising 40 authors, three languages, 1,500 years, all kinds of incredible variety of how it's written, dealing with all kinds of controversial topics in an incredibly unifying way because we believe there's one story and one author. The one story being God's passionate desire to rescue us and to be in relationship with us. Every part of the Bible is geared toward that. And he does that through Jesus. So now you might say, okay, wait a minute, but we're still kind of saying we just believe it because we believe it. But let's talk about this. Okay, this, here's the first thing. He'll say this. We, we trust the Old Testament because of Jesus did. Now, think about Jesus in the New Testament. In Matthew 5, 17, he says, I have not come to abolish... Awkward. <laughs> I'm glad I have that in my vocabulary now. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, which is the first five books of the Old Testament, the prophets and the writings. So he's basically saying, I didn't come to get rid of the Old Testament. They didn't call it the Old Testament. He said, I came to fulfill it. And then think about when Jesus talked to people, he talked as if he believed Noah was real. He talked as if he believed creation was real. He talked as if he believed, and he talked about Cain killing Abel. He talked about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, believing those were real people. And he talked about them in a way that he revered them and honored them. And he talked about them in a way that he believed the Old Testament scriptures were from God and represented the very words of God. He talked about it that way. I only listed one passage, Matthew 5. You could read the Gospels, and Jesus always, it is written, it is written. It, he's talking about those passages because he believes them and he trusts them. So at least the starting point is, if you trust Jesus then you have to trust anything he trusts. That's a little bit of a relational stretch for all of us, but let's... Uh, ideal world, anything, anybody you trust, you will trust what they trust. 
So if Jesus trusts the Old Testament, then we should trust the Old Testament as being breathed from God. It's one of the passages of Scripture talks about Scripture being God-breathed, inspired by God. Not that he didn't cause people's hands to write the books, but he was behind it all completely. Right? Jesus trusted the Old Testament, so, so do we. Okay, now you go to the New Testament. Now you think, wait, 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 now Jesus trusts the New Testament. You're like, wait a minute. I know enough about the Bible to know the New Testament's about Jesus that wasn't written yet. So how can he trust something that wasn't written? Good question. But in John chapter 14, I'm actually going to turn there. If you have a Bible, turn there. Actually, I'm going to add this too as I'm turning. We have a bunch of Bibles always in the back table back there, these blue Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, take one. Theft is encouraged here, all right? Seriously, or if you didn't bring one and you want to look at one when we're talking on Sunday morning, grab one, put it back. But if you keep it, it's not a big deal. John chapter 14, this is what Jesus said to his disciples not too long before he was going to be crucified, dead, and then resurrected. He said, when the Father sends the Advocate, which is the Holy Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. He will teach you and he will remind you of everything I have told you. He's telling this to the people, most of whom were the primary authors of New Testament correspondence and books. And Jesus is saying, the Father is sending a spirit. He's going to teach you and remind you of everything I said. So when Matthew pens the Gospel of Matthew and his account of the life of Jesus, Jesus has already said he trusts that the Holy Spirit sent from God was going to remind Matthew to record accurately what needed to be recorded. Same with Luke, same with John, same with Mark. Eventually, same with the Apostle Paul. The Holy Spirit would... Okay. Got to fix the substantial problem here. Same with the Apostle Paul. Okay, I'll put these over here now. Same with the Apostle Paul, that the Holy Spirit would remind him and teach him what needed to be taught and remembered from the life and teachings of Jesus. And you might say, okay, this seems like a threat. If you trust Jesus, if you trust what Jesus trusted, Jesus trusted that the Holy Spirit would accurately remind and teach these followers of his to record what he said and did and taught. Of course, the New Testament compilation of those writings, some letters. It wasn't until about 400 years after the death of Christ the New Testament became kind of solidified throughout many, many conversations and debates of men and women who were followers of Jesus. And I believe when Jesus said in John 14 he was going to trust the Holy Spirit to remind and teach, that carried all the way into those who, who, who through conversation and prayer, they said, this is it, this is, the new, this is what we're going to call the New Testament. We believe the Holy Spirit was part of that whole process. And it's incredible when you think about all the people and years were involved through all the authors to have one book that has such kind of that has such consistency throughout it. And Jesus believed and he trusted the Holy Spirit was going to preserve it and create it in an accurate way. So then what we say is then we trust the Bible because Jesus trusted the Bible. Now, does that mean there's nothing good in these other books? No, there's, I know, and I'm sure there are things I haven't read in there that, that are good things to do. 
I mean, Confucius says that part of goodness is how you treat your older brothers. I have two of them, and I treat them okay, so I guess I'm okay, you know. So there are certain things in these, but yeah, there's certain things in there that are true and good. But when it comes to how we compare this book to other books, then we have to really compare our trust with, do you trust Jesus? Because Jesus seemed to think that he had a unique, he was the unique pathway and doorway to God. He seemed to talk about, not seemed to, he did talk about the clarity in which his mission was for the world, for all people, all generations. So then we have to ask, okay, do you trust Jesus, and do you trust the book Jesus trusted? Because our trust of the Bible is not simply because we're Americans, or you were born to parents that were Baptist. Our trust of the Bible is because we trust Jesus, and we'll trust whatever Jesus trusted. Now, does that mean that all this becomes easy for us? No, there's a lot of things in the Bible I don't understand, and I'm sure you don't either. There's a lot of things in the Bible that are hard for me to understand. There are a lot of things in the Bible I don't even like, but I trust Jesus. So whether I understand or not, like or not, is trumped by my trust of this person named Jesus. Because Christianity is not a religion of intellectual assent. It's a religion of trust. And it's a supernatural religion, but it's about trust. It's not about intellectual assent. It doesn't mean you die to your brain. I mean, you use your mind, but you trust this person, Jesus. Okay, so we trust Jesus, we trust the Bible. What do we do with that? And again, this conversation is way longer than I've just given the bigger picture of it. But that's part of what we say at Exodus. We trust the Bible because Jesus did. So what do you do? Here's the challenge. Oh, wait a minute. A couple things. In the book of Joshua, two passages I'm going to look at. The book of Joshua, right before God's people were going to cross the promised land. They just left Egypt. God said, this is the promised land for you, modern day, you know, modern day Israel. And this is what God told Joshua as he was going to lead his people to, the word was rest. Rest, not just sleep, but rest, peace, joy. This is what God said to Joshua. Next slide. He says, study this book of instruction. So at this point, God was obviously talking about some of the Old Testament books that already existed, mostly maybe the first five books of the Old Testament. But the principle carries in a larger sense. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. So God's telling Joshua, God's telling us, if you want to have the restful, peaceful, joyful, prosperous of soul kind of life that every one of us hungers for, it starts with a commitment to trust and obey what God, God has already told us. And that's what Joshua said. Trust it, or God said to Joshua, trust it, be sure to obey everything written in it. Other, next passage, jump to the New Testament now. The New Testament author here is talking about, he's using the illusion we just talked about, God's people getting ready to enter their rest, enter the promised land. But the whole principle of rest, peace, joy, have that kind of life is a principle that's part of all scripture. And the writer of the Hebrews is saying this. And this is what he says about God's word, which again, at this point, the Old Testament was finished. Some of the New Testament letters and documents existed, but not in a completed form yet, but this is what this author says, under the inspiration of God. The word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, 
cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. So you're like, wait a minute, I'm going to read the Bible and have that happen to me? And my answer is, yeah, that's what you want. Years ago, I, was, I had an argument with my older brother, which I had probably more than I wish I had. But we were arguing about who would get the original copy of a newspaper article about my younger brother's basketball exploits. All right? We were arguing about who got the original, who got the Xerox. And you're thinking, dumb, dumb, dumb. And I said, yeah, it was. Really dumb. Because I, I cut it out. I cut the article out, so I think I'm deserving of the actual newspaper ink that you used to rub on your fingers and make your fingers black. He needs the copy. But he asked me to cut it out, so he thought he had the right to have it. And yeah, I was like 23, real mature, right? And I can't remember who even won the argument. But I was that, that particular time in my life, I was reading through a proverb a day during the month. Because I think there's 31 proverbs, you know, take, you know. Just so happened, that particular day, that night, I'm, I'm sitting down to be spiritual, be a good person. And the opening part of the proverb says, pride breeds quarrels. And it was like, okay, God, you cut me. You cut me. Was that what was going on inside of me, God? Is that what I was just, is that what that was all about with my brother? Not, not about, not, not, I wasn't worried about his pride. I thought, God, is that, is that what was driving me? Was it my pride that was driving me? I feel like, I was, yeah, that was your pride that was driving you. So because what, a large part of the purpose of the Bible is Jesus said he wants us to have life, an abundant life, and God says he wants to have rest, alive, awake, and free. But he also knows there's stuff inside of us that are major obstacles to that. So no, the Bible isn't designed to cut you down to size and make you feel how bad you are. The Bible is designed to, in part, to expose to you those very things and the obstacles to the kind of life you've always wanted. A life and full of, full of the life and power that comes from God. So yeah, God will use the, another time I was arguing with my wife about, I've told this story before, arguing with my wife about who was going to be the DJ at our wedding. She wanted a guy named Mark. I didn't want it to be Mark. Why? Because I was tired of my wife making all the decisions about the wedding. That was it. I knew Mark too and he's a little goofy, but anyway. So we're arguing about it, arguing about it, arguing about it. She gets so mad at me, she turns off the light in the room we're in and goes up to her upstairs bedroom we were at a parent's house over the weekend and she's like well fine and as I was sitting there quite smugly quite sad that my wife had given in to such anger actually it was my wife and she was my fiance and I really felt bad for her and out of nowhere came a passage of scripture I'd been memorizing dang it and the passage was I could hear it loudly in my head search me O God know my heart Psalm 139 Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any offensive way in me. And I was like, God, that's, that's nice, but that's for her upstairs. Right? But it was sitting on me like a heavy weight. No, no, no. Search me, oh God, and know my heart. I was like, God, okay, I, I got it, but that's not. And there was a point in when I was sitting there, and I actually remember relaxing my body in this chair I was sitting, and I, I slouched when I sit. And I was just like, okay, what do you want to show me? And I... Through that passage of scripture, through the word of God, I felt like what God said to me, you were the jerk in that conversation. Now, do I like being called a jerk by God? I think that might have been the very word, but I don't know. No, I don't. But do I like becoming set free from all the things and the pride in me that keeps me from being the kind of person that the Bible that I trust because Jesus trusts tells me I can be? Do I like what the Bible tells me 
about human sexuality and marriage and all those, and it's hard. Do I like? Don't always like it, but I believe it and I trust it because that's the kind of person I want to be. So when the Bible tells me, when Jesus says, you know, even if you look at a woman lustfully in your heart, you've already committed adultery. Did I like that as a 23-year-old guy? Not really. Do I like that as a 51-year-old guy? Not really. Do I trust that that issue in me needs to completely be eradicated by the power of the Spirit so I can be fully alive in God? Absolutely. And there's all kinds of things you'll run in, into the Bible where you will run against the wall because you have to decide, do I trust what God says about what I'm supposed to do with my money? Some of you who are in the habit of tithing, which is giving 10% of your money back to ministries or missions or whatever. Do you ever stop and think, I do every once in a while, do you ever stop and think how much it is a year and what you could do with that money if you just kept it? And then you start, if you're like me, then you start thinking, but I trust what Jesus trusted and the Bible tells me that's how God wants us to set ourselves free from the love of money and to keep his ministries going. So I'm going to do it because I trust that's going to lead me to the life I've always wanted. Hoarding my money is not going to do that. So when you read the Bible, you're going to run into things where God is going to show you things about you that you'd rather not know, but you desperately want to know because you want to know how do I, how do I become that kind of person because I'm stuck right now as this kind of person. So when I say read the Bible... That's my challenge to all of us. Read the Bible. And you might say, where do you start? Well, you talk to different friends of yours. Ask them where to start. And talk to me. Talk to Dan other people at the church. You might know that have been friends of Jesus for a number of years. And, uh, but just read it. Start somewhere. You'll notice that Exodus, uh, our sermons for the most part, will always come from the Bible. Because we believe that's the only sole source of teaching in life. Um, that for how we believe God wants us to be those kind of people. And again, it's not, it's not this legalistic, well, better read it, check it off your list so God doesn't get mad at you for not doing your homework. No, it's because I, I want to be absolutely free. And if what Jesus tells me is this book, how God communicates through men and women and boys and girls through this book, is a, the way for me to hear from God and to become the kind of person I've always wanted to be, alive, awake, and free, full of the life and spirit of God, I would be a fool not to not, not to not only trust this book, but to grow in my love for this book. And I don't mean love for the book, but love for the, the God who, tells, who talks to me through this book. One of the things that David says in one of the psalms, or not David, one of the psalmists, Psalm 119, the opening part is, oh, oh, how I love your law. Oh, how I love your law. My hope, my prayer for me, my hope, my prayer for all of you would be to the, grow to the point where you would echo the words of the psalmist when they said, I, I, I love this book. I love it. I, I love because I see, what I'm, I see I'm changing. I'm growing. I'm, I'm getting rid of these old shackles that I don't like. Pride and lust and materialism. I, I don't want that anymore in my life. And if this is going to help me be free, then I, then I love this book. We just got done singing... You know, I called and you answered and you came to my rescue. 
That's what, that's what God wants to do in your life. God doesn't want to beat you down, beat you up, give you more homework than you want to do, or show you how bad you are for the sake of him saying, see, I'm better than you. Ah. No, he does it because he wants to set you free. So that's why we trust the Bible because Jesus did. We trust Jesus. And if you're not in the habit of reading on a regular basis, start somewhere. Start somewhere. Take a Bible. Find a Bible. Find a Bible app on your phone. There's tons of them. Start reading. God, we thank you that, God, I thank you that you're a competent God, that you were competent enough to orchestrate this whole process of how we now have what we call the Bible. Through the men and women throughout history and all the conversations and prayers and, and then boom, we have this. Because God, you're incredibly competent to give us what you know we need to become the kind of people you know we can become because that's how you made us to be. So God, we, um, would we be people of your book because we want to be people of Jesus and uh, we want to love what Jesus loves. So God, and we want mostly, 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 we want to be the alive, awake, and free people that you created us to be. Um, that's what we desperately, desperately want. And we ask this all in your name. Amen. We finish every week at Exodus 